Turning then the word of the Lord uh, to Luke's gospel in the chapter 22. Luke's gospel in the chapter 22. So turning in your Bibles this morning, can I ask you how your Bible reading is going? We encouraged you at the start of the year perhaps to begin a devotional plan. Here we are, one month has passed, and I just want to encourage you to keep up and keep on going with that. Perhaps it's been the case, it's a little challenging, maybe you've let a couple of days slip here or there. Well, just dust yourself off and start again and develop the habit of a systematic Bible reading. It's very important. And I strongly encourage each of you to be engaged in such a systematic pattern of making your way through the Bible. And so no matter what the case has been in January, February is a new month, and you can begin all over again and keep it up and keep it going. And may the Lord bless His Word to each of our hearts. But we're continuing in this series, Teach Us to Pray, and we're going to read together from the verse 39 of the chapter And the Word of God says, And he came out and went as he went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. We're speaking here, of course, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done." And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from the prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they were which were about him, saw what would follow. They said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And in our reading there at the verse 50. So we come to consider this passage this morning, and we do so still referring back and linking back to our uh, primary reading in Genesis in the chapter 18. We've been considering now for four weeks the Alpha of prayer, the very beginning of the scriptural record of man coming before God and offering his prayer and intercessions to the living God of heaven and earth. We look first of all at the purpose of prayer. As Abraham came before the Lord, he did so on behalf of others. That's truly what marks it out as being an intercessory prayer. We noticed also the reasoning of prayer, how that he not only entered into prayer before the Lord for those who were in need, but he reasoned with the Lord as to all that the Lord had said would unfold in the cities of the plain, being the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was all framed against the backdrop, remember, of him saying, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Then last week, we came to consider the attitude of prayer, how with humility he came, how indeed looking for the Lord to bless, he did so in a way that was honest. 
And then he also sought the ultimate glory of the Lord. He sought the honor of the Lord. As we come to consider this today, this passage from Luke's Gospel in the chapter 22, we entitle this message, The Yardstick of Prayer. The Yardstick of Prayer. And if you cast your mind back to the beginning, you will see that each of the points spell out pray. It's a reminder that this is what we're engaged in. It's what we're seeking even to remind ourselves of as we embark upon this study. Because remember, the destination we've set for ourselves is to enter into the secret place. To know what it is truly to spend that time, profitable time, in prayer. To know what it is to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. To know what it is to truly know and acknowledge the very presence of God in a real and a tangible way, time after time, day after day. So there must be a purpose for our prayer. There must be reasoning in our prayer. We must have the correct attitude in prayer. Then we come to this, the yardstick of prayer, that which we can compare our prayers to, is the prayer that Abraham offered in Genesis chapter 18. Is it truly that which we should seek to embody in our prayer life? Well, I trust that as we make our way through this morning, that you will readily identify with me that it is. But we're not going to use that prayer as the primary form of evidence we come here to this prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. For me, it's one of the most important prayers recorded in Scripture. Many will point to the high priestly prayer even that's offered at this time whenever the Lord is about to go to the cross as being the very pinnacle of prayer within Scripture. Nevertheless, as we come to this prayer today, I believe that the words that we've read together are equally important and equally insightful as to what our prayers should contain as we spend that time day after day with the Lord. You see, all that's unfolding here is the events that lead up to Calvary, lead up to that time whenever the Lord Himself knew what it was to lay down His life an offering for sin, your sin, and my sin. But nevertheless, as he enters into this garden, having observed that first table of remembrance with his disciples, having then left that upper room, having sang those psalms, and having then made his way into this place that we know as Gethsemane, the Bible tells us when he was at the place, verse 40, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now notice, first and foremost, that as he enters into this garden, he exhorts his disciples, those who have followed him, those who have been the recipients of investment in their lives, as he has ministered to them for three years now. And having spent that very special and intimate time in the upper room, having washed their feet and typified to them what a true servant of God really is, having prayed even unto his Father for their great needs, having imparted to them great words of wisdom that would enable them to continue the work that he had given them to do whenever he would not only die upon the cross and rise again, but one day ascend to be with his Father. He now comes to this garden and he says to those men, he says, pray ye. Carry down and on into the chapter and see in verse 46. The end of verse 45 for context, he found them sleeping. 
said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And see, here as we enter in, that this is a passage worth considering. Why? Because it's an exhortation from Christ Himself to His followers that they might be engaged in the work of, the activity of prayer. All for the purpose of avoiding temptation. All for the purpose of overcoming trial. All for the purpose of being alert, ready, willing, and able. As they serve in their lives, as they journey through their lives. But the scriptural account continues in verse 41. It says, He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is a prayer that we come to consider this morning. And notice, first of all, that it was a solitary prayer. Yes, he's entered into this garden with those disciples who have left the upper room with him. We know, of course, at this point it's 11. So they've made their way from the upper room. They've now even entered into this garden. But leaving the disciples behind, the first group of eight, he went, remember, according to Matthew's account, a little farther with Peter, James, and John. They were the ones who knew very especially, very keenly, that ministry of the Lord during His time here on earth. They were the ones who were privileged to even travel up the Mount of Transfiguration with Him. They saw as He was transfigured there before their very eyes. And so in the garden, He goes a little further with Peter, James, and John, but even turning to them, He says these words, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And the Bible tells us then that He went a little further again. And being removed here in Luke's account, a stone's cast from them, he kneeled down and he prayed. He was all alone. He was all alone. Oh yes, there were people there that he could point to, but there was none that he spent those moments with apart from the Lord himself. So it's a reminder to us that if we would truly know what it is to pray, if we would truly know what it is to enter into the secret place, to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, it is that work which only can be engaged in alone. And many there are who know what it is to use family prayer time, who know what it is to use social prayer time, who know what it is to use prayer in the church as evidence of their prayer life. But true prayer is primarily that which is done alone. It's setting aside that time just for you to come before the Lord. It's setting aside that time for you to enter into His presence, for you to spend quietly resting at His feet pouring out your heart onto Him. It's a solitary work. Now you'll notice once more that He went that little bit further. And in my mind, that is the exact same understanding that we identify in the prayer of Abraham, how He drew near. 
The Lord is clearing everything else out so that he can step into the presence of God, step into the presence of his Father. Abraham, you'll remember, lingered in the presence of God, and then he drew near unto him before he prayed. If you and I would know what it is to enter into the presence of the Lord, then there must be that clearing of everything else. The distractions of time, the distractions of family, the distractions of all that can consume us from day to day, and finding that quiet place, finding that solitary place, and praying unto Him. Note the boldness once more that's evidenced in the Lord's Prayer. He said, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. quite an ask in the moment that he finds himself in. But nevertheless, with boldness, he approaches unto his Father. Confidence that he hears because he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. There's an intimacy. There's an nearness. There's a boldness. There's a confidence. But it's all found here in the reality of solitary prayer. The fact that he went a little farther. The fact that he was alone before his father. Can I encourage you that yes, prayer is hard work. Prayer is very much something that must be gone about with with real purpose and intention. But prayer is profitable work. And if you would know what it is to pray, and if you wish for your prayer life to be that which the Lord can truly bless, and that you yourself can know His nearness in, then you must, you must yourself go a little further. You must set aside that time. You must invest that effort. You must diligently and purposefully seek to come into the very presence of God and dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. It was a solitary prayer. But it was also a persevering prayer. Matthew's record of this account tells us that the Lord prayed three times. Three times he made the same request unto the Lord. Three times he came and bowed before his Father and left even that very burden that was evident upon his heart, and he left it before the Lord God his Father. But he persevered. And remember, we're referencing this all back to Abraham's prayer, and we're seeing how that what we learn from Abraham's prayer is also replicated in other prayers throughout Scripture, other prominent prayers, other important prayers. And as we come here to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who remains to be the consistent pattern for all Christian living, then we see also in the prayer that He offers in the garden, perseverance. A willingness to come again. Just as Abraham said that he, would not, he desired not to anger the Lord by his constant coming. 
so too the Lord Jesus Christ himself knew what it was time and again to enter in and to offer the very same petition. We all know how to start well. But many of us struggle with finishing well. Many of us struggle with keeping going. Many of us lose heart whenever the days pass, whenever the months turn into years. And that which is heavy upon our heart, that which is the real burden that God has identified and placed upon our heart, because it's not answered. Because there seems to be no response from heaven. And we so easily lose heart. And that which was once important doesn't seem to be so important anymore. But friend, if we are truly to pray as the Lord would have us to pray, if we're truly to win in the battle of prayer, if we're truly to exemplify that which is abiding in a secret place and entering in even to that place where God can and will bless us, then we must know what it is to persevere in prayer. Just as Paul put it in Colossians 4 and verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Pray and pray on. It was a solitary prayer. It was a persevering prayer. But also we see in the end of the prayer there as it's recorded in verse 42 that it was a submissive prayer. says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here we have the great mystery of his humanity and the great mystery of his deity. God in flesh. You see, if he is truly the one that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, if he is truly the one who knows the problems that, are come, that we come to in life, if he truly is the one who is sensitive to the burdens that we carry, to the questions that we have, then he has to, even in this very moment, be filled with that anxiousness, even that fear of all that lies before And I believe that that's expressed even as he views that cup. It's a figurative cup, but nevertheless, as he looks within it, he knows full well all that will unfold in the hours to come. All that will be necessary in order to purchase a full and free salvation for all mankind. He knows the dark hours of sorrow, pain, and anguish that he must go through. And so the great mystery of his humanity and the great mystery of his deity is in view here. It's at play here, even in this prayer, for it's expressed, the humanity is expressed, and remove this cup from me. But his deity is seen whenever he submits once again, as he always has done, to his Father's will. Remember in John's Gospel, we read time and time again, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. He said unto Pilate, for this purpose was I born. For this reason came I into the world 
He was fully aware of that mission that he had been given to do, that work that the Father had sent him to complete. At all points, he was fully submissive to that which his Father had given him to do. And expressed here in this prayer, yes, it testifies to the truth that he is at all points touched as we are with the fears and anxieties of life, with the worries and concerns of how life is unfolding before our very eyes, of that which awaits us in days, months, and years to come. But he is one who consistently patterns to us, the believer, what it is to say, Father, have thine own way. Look at the measure of his submission. It was total. Not my will, but thine be done. How easy it is to say, but how hard to fully implement in our hearts and lives. How easy it is whenever we pray to say, God, have your own way, but do we really mean that when it comes to every affair of our life? Does God have his complete hold upon us? Does he have his complete way in our lives? Are we those who say, here's my life, take it as an entirety and use it in whatever way thou seest fit? Are we those who open the door of our house and welcome the Lord in? Who allow him to proceed to every room and to view that which is contained within, but don't dare go near that little cupboard because that belongs to me. If he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. That is a saying that's been rehearsed down through the generations, but it's true to this very day. If the Lord does not have us all, then it's futile praying have thine own way, Lord. But the Lord typifies to us one who in submission, its measure was total. Look at his motivation. Not my will, but thine be done. He sought to fulfill his Father's will. He sought for the glory of God and all that would unfold in the dark hours to come, even in the personal sufferings that he himself would go through. He sought for the glory of the Lord to be evident, to be demonstrated to all around. His submission was motivated by the Father's glory. But note the meaning. The meaning of his submissive prayer. meant he had to be betrayed. Judas, one he had invested time and effort in. Judas, one that he had ministered to. Judas, one he had welcomed with open arms for three years. Judas was about to march through the gate of that garden and betray his Lord. meant that he was left alone. For as the soldiers came, as the discussions unfolded, 
As they took the Lord into custody, all his friends fled. Yes, they stood afar off, but they left him. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was accused of things that he didn't do. He was brought before Pilate. In the eyes of Pilate, he was declared innocent, but nevertheless, the mob had their way that day. And bringing him before the balcony of those who were assembled below, he said, what shall I do unto him who is called Jesus of Nazareth? Crucify him. Taken back into that hall, he was handed over to those soldiers who plucked his beard from his face. Who passed him from soldier to soldier, striking him, punching him, meaning that his visage was more marred than any man. They stripped him. They forced a crown of thorns upon his head, and then put a purple robe upon him and made a sport of him, made an example of him. And then coming out of that hall of praetorium, they placed a cross of wood upon his back, and there, through that city, he carried that cross all the way to Golgotha, where willingly he placed his hands far apart one from another. Willingly he laid his back upon the wood. Willingly he crossed his feet. Willingly he allowed the hammer blows to strike the nails as they fixed him to that cross. And then, raising it up from the earth, they shoved it into a hole in the ground. And there, between heaven and earth, the Son of God was suspended as the Father's will was done. And in that hour, as he suffered, and in those moments that he knew what it was to have the whole wrath of God poured out upon him for you and for me, he said, Father, forgive them. And that wasn't a cry just for those who were around him. That was a cry that goes down through the generations and comes crashing into the meeting in which we are in this morning. And if you are here outside of Christ today, then there is one who suffered upon a cross and he cried in that hour of darkness, that hour of desperation. He said, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Father, forgive that little one. And then he cried, it's finished. The work was accomplished. The debt had been paid. And in submitting to his Father's will, all that must and could be done in order to bring about our salvation was fulfilled in Him. And all we ever had to do. And sinner today, if you're amongst us, all you have to do is come and repent and believe in Him. But friend, as we look at this prayer, this 
yardstick of prayer as we come to compare our prayer life to that which is exemplified here in the life of our Savior, we see one who prayed alone. We see one who persevered. We see one who submitted. Know that today you and I would know what it is to pray, to keep on praying, but in our prayers to submit unto Him who doeth all things well. The model prayer in Scripture that's referred to is, of course, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. We've already noted that as we looked at the omega of prayer, but nevertheless, in that phrase that we find within that prayer, it's, Thy kingdom come. But if His kingdom's to come, then your kingdom's to go. My kingdom's to go. Desirest thou great things for thyself? Desire them not. But desire to be a vessel in the Father's hand and see what God will do through you. Do we see solitary prayer in the life of Abraham as we refer back to Genesis 18? Yes, we do. Do we see persevering prayer? Yes, we do. Do we see submissive prayer? Yes, we do. And coming to answer the question that everybody has, why did Abraham not keep praying? You may have your reason, but I believe with all of my heart it was because he was submitted to God in prayer. He knew what to ask for, and he knew when to stop. And I pray that in our lives, that we will be so in tune with God that we pray according to his will. And we will see his work done. And yes, his work may leave us saying, why? Yes, his will may contain those days whenever we have to confess that his ways are not our ways. But his ways are always better than our ways. And his thoughts are always higher than our thoughts. Abiding under the shadow of the Almighty allows the Almighty to work in us. Help us to pray. Teach us to pray. May we all be people of prayer. Father, we pray that thou wouldst be pleased to work in us. May this all come to complete a real purpose in our lives. May we emphasize even the very necessity of personal prayer. May we place it higher than everything else. Help us to persevere even though we've prayed for that loved one, for that need, for that breakthrough for many, many years. Help us to keep on praying. And help us at all times to be submissive to the will of our Father, desiring not anything for ourselves, but the glory of Christ may be seen. For it's in his name we pray.